You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code DAN for a special offer when you sign up. That's code DAN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Have I seen the rehearsal of what? Oh my God. Never mind. How much money did Bad Bunny make? <laughs> You don't even know the show she's talking about? I, it was a joke, Billy. Oh, I know the show. I don't watch it, but it was just it's, funny to see what rehearsal. We can mm-hmm. talk about Bad Bunny instead. Did you guys go to the concert this weekend? seemed like everyone in Miami was at the concert. Yeah, I no. wanted to go, and I ended up not going. I went to the last tour, unfortunately mm-hmm. got COVID. Not, uh, not that it was going to be a defining decision, but what I hate is that I got the tickets when they dropped for the last tour. And for this one, I think we were traveling or I was traveling, I was somewhere where I wasn't able to get the tickets. So when they dropped, obviously they all sold out instantly. And when you go into these like Ticketmaster sites, StubHub, whatever. The worst. The fees are more than the ticket themselves. Yeah. I got a ticket for like, two tickets for like 150 bucks each. And like, you know, whatever seats, but at least just to go to the concert. The fees ended up being more than the tickets. For two tickets, ended up being 300 bucks. The fees made it like 800 bucks. And I was like, that's not true. I'm $800. Billy, I'm telling you. Dude. I've heard that. I haven't been to a concert in years. I think the last concert I went to was with Mike, and I think he paid for our tickets, but I haven't bought tickets on Ticketmaster probably since 2019. I've heard that the fees now are They're out ridiculous. Of yes, that is true. And people just don't want to go to concerts anymore if they have to buy it from a secondhand. So it's all place. scale, right? It's like how much you pay for the, for the ticket depends on how much of the fee that you pay. Right, because I'm guessing it's a right. percentage of what the ticket is. Yeah, so the higher that's the crazy. So all of a sudden it's like a hundred and fifty dollar ticket. It's like, oh, here's an extra eighty bucks. Right. And then another Service extra seventy charge. bucks. Yeah. And then taxes. And then You know what happened the other day in Miami? That was insane. I went to get iced coffee. I treat myself to an iced coffee every Friday. Nice. I went to get my iced coffee. And the person behind the register asked me, uh, do you want ice in it? And I was like, yeah, I would like ice in my iced Naturally, coffee. Yeah, She's like, asked. oh, like some people don't want ice. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but sure. So she rings me up, charges me 25 cents for ice. What is this a brand coffee shop or is this, this is a, just a like a bakery that has iced coffee? I'm glad Charge you brought, me for ice. I'm glad you brought that up the other day. I, I haven't had soda since I had my kidney stones because I knew that that was a thing. The change jar is working. By the way, I'm fine, thank you. So I haven't had soda since I had my kidney stone situation. I'm pretty sure that's one of the things. So I've been drinking. Somebody wrote. I've been drinking lemonade. Right. That's also not good for you, by the way. Well, is it diet lemonade? Baby steps. No sugar. So I go to a place, a uh, fast food restaurant, and this is one of those. This excellent diet lemonade. This is one of those places that it's just one of those Coke machines. That you that has eight thousand different drinks oh, yeah. inside of it. It's a BK he's talking about. Well, I won't say. So I go, 
and I always add cheese to my 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 sandwich, which they always charge me like forty or fifty cents to add cheese, which whatever is fine. So then they asked me like Coke to drink, and I'm like, no, I'd like a lemonade, please. And this isn't like a homemade lemonade. This isn't like some sort of fancy this machine lemonade. lemonade. Yeah, this is the lemonade. this is the machine. They just push a different Minute button. Made. Charge me thirty extra cents for that. No. What? Thirty extra cents for lemonade instead of Coke. No. That's how ridiculous. I, I mean, I don't know. They put they it charge in you for button. ice. That's the thing that I don't understand. It's the same exact machine. You just push one thing instead of another, but I got charged more. I would have argued that. I would have disputed that charge. Have you guys ever argued I, something and won? No, you're never going to win. No, but never, if I ever never, go ever. back to this bakery, which I may never go back, and don't they try back. to charge what me for ice, for I'm going to say, you know what? I'm good. Bring I don't your want own the ice. Oh, that's what you really should do. You should take a little, a little handheld yes. cooler with yes. ice. And they're like, ice, and you're like, no. And then you pour it in, and then you turn around to the <laughs> yes, person behind exactly. you. You turn around to the person behind you, you go, would you like some ice? And you start giving everybody ice, yes. and then they can't. Instead of, like, buying everybody their coffee, you give, give everybody, everybody ice. Everyone for, I mean, yeah. I feel like they should give me a discount for taking ice off their hands. Because that mm -hmm. ice is taking up space in their freezer, right? I don't I know. Guess, yeah. Give me the ice. They probably have I'll an ice machine. Take it off machine. your hands. You should like pre-package pre and Ziploc bags Why a bunch of ice, ice and just hand it, hand it out to people. This is, I like that this idea. This is Miami. Yeah. This isn't like in Europe where no one has ice, okay? This is in Florida. Where There's no every, ice in Europe? Ice is, ice is a guarantee in Florida. Hmm. Yeah, in Europe. And for some, some, for some reason, a lot of countries in Europe... What no, do I don't. People see when that they was, I, I don't that was an ESPN autoplay. Oh, oh bastards! Okay. God damn it! Yeah. Anyway, Come back anyways, to on mystery. So there's no ice. Hold well, on, no, there's no ice in no, Europe. No, they they do drink drinks without ice. Like my there's my not ice. why? Yeah. It's hot. My wife's family just came from Spain, and like we had like, would you guys like? What they want wine for everything? We're like, would you guys like water? I know I do. And they're like, yeah, room temperature, please. And we're like, we don't have like, that. Are you, are you murderers? What do you mean room temperature water? What's yeah, they drink Redham was over there. Beer too. You know. They drink gross. room temperature no, beer? In the UK, I think they drink warm beer. And Witty's trying to tell me the UK is better than yes. America. Right, porter, this right? Weird. Room temperature beers. This is a TikTok thing right now. Is people? A lot of people on TikTok are coming back from oh summer trips to Europe. And they're coming back Must and be being nice. like, oh my god, it was amazing that everywhere in Europe was so walkable and all these things. But, oh, I, air conditioning and ice, like, um, the United States is so much better. I have a question. Thank you. How, how What's do, that, Billy? How do people do that? Because I've seen a bunch of people that's like, I was just in Europe for six weeks. It's like, how? Like, do you not have They have money. A job? They have no, money. No, but don't you have a job that you need to do? How do you when just you have money, you don't need a job. Really? Right. No. Maybe well, some jobs yeah, are sure. like, you don't Flexible. have to... I don't know. Like One of my biggest regrets or, in, in our, our little WFH situation here was that mm -hmm. I didn't like go anywhere. Like cause I was mm -hmm. working from home. I could have done it. I told yeah. Tony, I'm like, man, I wish I had a house in well, the you Keys. Were I could have done. Yeah. Well, yeah. You could have called me. Hard. I was in the Keys. You were never in the Keys. You were here. You were like one of the first people back. You're a little oh, stuck up. Right. Like, oh, I need to get back in the studio. I don't. Mm. I don't remember that being the wow. case. Yeah, right. Was you. Yeah, cool. That was you. Yeah. By the way, on the, on the topic of room temperature water, Izzy's like lectured us on how it's better for you to drink room temperature water that. than cold yeah. water. It's easier to yeah. like digest or whatever. I like, guess. I don't know if you're if you're dehydrated, you're supposed to drink room temperature and not. At the time, it said, buddy, don't worry about this. I'm going to be drinking Coke, so we don't need to have this conversation about <laughs> now, water. Right. Now, yeah. it's a different story. Now, yeah. Temperature water, Coke? baby. No, God, no. Lukewarm Coke's Coke. No. Worse. In the can, lukewarm Coke in the mm -hmm. can is like just, it's basically just uh, like foam. When you go to drink it, Ugh. it just turns into foam in your mouth. Gatorade and Powerade, even if they're warm, have like a cold sensation to me huh. for some reason. I, like think they're just, I think they're undrinkable warm. There's just some things that you, that you drink and you're like... That felt cold, syrup. even though it's not. They yeah. like syrup when they're not cold. I don't cold. know. 
I don't like it. Mm. You don't like it when it's not cold? It has so like to be room temperature ice cold. syrup is Gatorade not good? Gatorade has to be ice cold. No, but right. syrup. Syrup? Because he said something about syrup. I mean, syrup is supposed to be syrupy. Do you Gatorade put it in your... Not. Do you put it in the fridge or you put it in like a cabinet? Syrup, I mm. think you're supposed to refrigerate after you open. What's but the I don't deal think with it's going to go bad. What's the deal with that? Well, it would go bad by a Refrigerate by a after opening, but why? Well, because if I go to a Denny's, it's just been sitting on the it's table. Exactly. Biodegradable. TikTok and it was a gastroenterologist i think i said uh, this on slack who was like there's a tiktok trend right now and it's like five things i would never do as mm, blank mm -hmm. and it was like five things i would never eat as a gastroenterologist because these are like the most bacteria laden foods one of them was i would never eat the syrup that's been sitting out at an ihop or a, a denny's I don't oh. go to those and places. one of them was i would never eat the butter do? at a movie theater what? that's the one i sent to slack because it's not real butter. Well, of course it's not it's real just, oil. It's all fake. It's <laughs> synthetic, like, chemical butter. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah it's just butter flavoring. Never it tastes that. good. I was thinking of making one that was, like, five things I would never do as a podcaster, but mm -hmm. I can't, like... Think of five things? I can't think of five things. Like, I was thinking, like, uh, five things I would never do as a podcaster. Number five, I would never say anything bad about Tua Tungle-Vailoa. Mm. Right, yeah. Uh, and then you get stuck of, at... <laughs> yeah, that's a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, never trick Greg Cody into thinking he's talking to an old uh, colleague. Right. Mm. Yeah. Guys, what were your thoughts on that bit as, like, an end-of-the-week, like, retrospective? Uh, yeah. Uh, no comment on that one. Uh, uh, that's anything else? Maybe. That's mm. fine. Mm. That's all right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Better call Saul. What, uh, wait, I have a question before we get to that. You oh, just, welcome to Mystery Crate, by the way. So, oh, thank you. So you're welcome. I tried to do it, but what's yeah, the concert yeah. that's going to bring I you back forget. that you're going to be like, concert? I need to buy these tickets? Man, I don't know. It should have like, been Bad Bunny. And I would go to a Bad Bunny concert if it we was. We should have gone all together. Not A, expensive. No, no, no. It is so expensive. I don't Thanks. like being in big crowds anymore. Yeah, same. I just want to be alone. <laughs> hmm. But like the concert I went to with Mike was was really good. That was one of my favorite. What was bands, it? Kings of Leon. Mm. I've been a fan of theirs for like years. Mm, kind of so. boring. Overrated. Wow. Yeah. That's fine. Mm. You don't have to like the same music. They got like two songs. I like that attitude. I mean, they're fine. I like, that I, I, like I like them. I like them. I have they're that fine. attitude. I think. But or Billy, I aspire to. I think. Like, well, we could just like different things. It's yeah. Fun. Like I think. I think that's bad content. Like it's better if we argue. I think people want to yeah. want us to argue. <laughs> right. But I don't have the energy right now. I don't want to argue. I'm tired. You're tired of arguing, Billy? No, I, I'm just I don't tired. like arguing. I'd rather just be quiet. Oh? You know, like just... Yeah. Like, also, like, doesn't it good for podcasts, like, though? Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. That's yeah, a it's, it's audio really, medium, like, yeah. yeah. I know there are cameras on here. It's probably boring if we talk about how much we hate arguing, but... Hmm. I don't have the energy to be like you have to like the same band as me because I just don't think different people like different music. Yeah, you know. Right. But if you don't like Better Call Saul, you're an idiot. Yes, so you are. Oh wow. This just episode of Mystery I'm yes. just kidding. I don't feel that way. But. I was gonna what? pitch no, a yes, show you do. to you. Don't lie to the people. I don't agree to disagree. Yeah. I'm oh interested. snap! It's just argument. Every argument ends. I agree to disagree. Yeah. Agree to disagree. Then you move on to the next one. That's right. Hmm. Well, give it a go. Okay. You're on to something. That I mean, we never. What, what was the name of Chris's thing? The conversation. I don't remember. How's this going? No, no. Chris's. Chris's. Slow uh, report? Yeah, the slow report. I mean, everybody laughed at that. And it got like 10,000 followers in like one day. Yeah, good so for you should start a Twitter account that says agree to disagree and you pose debate questions, but then at the end of every tweet, agree to disagree. Nah, too much work. How does that? Mm. Hmm. Workshopping it. Today on Mystery Crate, Pentecostal. Roy Anthony Mays. Myself, Zach Harper, and Jer Bear, we're discussing the series finale and the final season of the AMC hit show, Better Call Saul, created uh -oh. by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold, starring Bob Odenkirk. There will be spoilers if you haven't seen I'm the final watching. season. Yeah, I'm not listening to this episode. How dare you, sir? I'm not listening to this episode. To yeah, I'm, this episode. I'm a Netflix watcher. Skip so ahead I'm, to the end. Yep, uh, just watch I'm a Netflix it, watcher. Sure, and listen to it when you're done. 
Okay. Um, so here's Better Call Saul. Welcome to Mystery Crate. We've got a packed house here to discuss the final season of Better Call Saul. I'm joined by Roy Bellamy, Jessica Smetana, Zach Harper, and Jeremy Taché. I'm Anthony Mays. We're here to talk about premier television. What a rarity for me to get to talk about something that I truly love. What do you mean? And we're bringing a 14-year Albuquerque saga to a close. 14 years in Albuquerque with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Before we dive into our conversation, I just want to take the pulse of the room. File. Double file. Yes. This is an easy file. Mm -hmm. But Zach, would you like to elaborate at all on any of your thoughts? I wouldn't say I watch the best stuff all the time. It's become maybe like a one out of every 10 ventures. I'm like, wow, that was really good. And so to watch this, what's funny is I think I stopped watching in season three for whatever reason. And then I binged it to lead up to the previous half of this season, right? And so going through it, I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. And I remembered quite a lot of it, but just kind of blown away at how beautiful the show is, right? Like I'd kind of forgotten that about Breaking Bad of just visually. I mean, obviously it's sculpted so well with the writing and the acting and everything, but just visually, like it's just beautiful to watch every single episode. Like there's not an episode that ever looks like off or anything. Like everything is just the vision behind it is incredible. The craft and the technical skills of the crew just keep getting better year after year. We'll talk about one of the episodes this season, which in less skilled hands would have been boring as hell, but because they made it so well and dived into the minutia, it was still endearing television. Jessica, you're an adamant tweeter about this show. <laughs> like Zach said, he jumped on the train a little later. He jumped off the train, then he got back on the train. Got back on, baby. When did you pick up Better Call Saul? I've been a day one Breaking Bad Better Call Saul person. I've watched all the Breaking Bad episodes live when they came out and did the same for the most part with Better Call Saul. So this is a very sad end to an era. I still remember where I was when I watched the Breaking Bad finale, and I feel like I'll kind of look back on this the same way. Yeah, I didn't watch Breaking Bad live, but I got in after season one had come out and I binged that first season and then I was hooked the rest of the way. There are turning points in this show and I have a couple that I remember specifically, but Jeremy, let's start with Breaking Bad. When was the moment in Breaking Bad where you're like, wow, this is something? You know, it's funny. Unlike Jess, I got to all of this way late. So I didn't start watching Breaking Bad until Better Call Saul was already a show and I had heard so many amazing things about the show. So going into Breaking Bad, you're sort of looking for all of the moments, not necessarily spoiled by them. I didn't know what they would be, but you're expecting, all right, this is going to be something incredible and worthwhile. And so for me, the moment, and it seems so cliche that it would be his first showdown with Tuco, but in Breaking Bad, that sort of felt like the moment where I was like, okay, this is about to completely go off the rails to something different than what we've seen. And it was... Obviously not the first moment of Breaking Bad, but it was the first moment of, okay, this guy can be something more than what we saw him as at the very beginning of the show. And I think with both shows, it's consistent that when you first get the glimpse of, oh, this person can be different than what's been portrayed so far, those are some of the best moments of the shows. I completely agree. For me, it's specifically the yell in the car mm -hmm. when he 
throws down with Tuco and then he returns to the car and he just lets it all out. And he's been so tightly wound. He's grabbing the steering wheel. He's beating on it. He's got that primal scream. I thought the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, all of a sudden, I believed it. He was just the dad getting his back shaved in his underwear until then. But now he's Walter White. Roy, are you a day one Breaking Badder? I am. I'm a day one Breaking Bad watcher, just like I'm a day one console watcher. I was the one that got the entire Levitard show in to Breaking Bad, and I still have DVDs that Stugatz has not returned to me. <laughs> but the DVDs that I did lend to everybody else on the show, they went through them just like that. So I'm the guy that championed in the cause and very proud of the fact that I got people into the show. Except Mike Ryan, who still is not a fan of the show. Yeah, well, that's him. Oh, he won't even subscribe to The Athletic. I'm done with him. <laughs> he was talking a lot of trash about The Wire this week as well so yeah well <sighs> premier taste from a premier producer rough takes i miss corporate mike so much no 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 man listen anything to shun jason whitlock is a-okay with me beta male but roy mentions an interesting point which is breaking bad is firmly in the dvd era <laughs> it's a show where you would buy the season of television on dvd and so I want to take you all back with me in our time machine. Future callback. To Alan Sepinwall's top 10 shows of 2008. Just to give you an idea of what the landscape was like. This is when network TV was still a thing. Cable TV was the cool thing. And streaming was just a dream. Mm -hmm. Number one, Zach, I know you'll love this. The Shield's final season. Banger, man. My favorite series of all time. Uh, I love that show. And the final season was so good. Mm -hmm. Number two, The Wire's final season. Not great. Not necessarily the best season of The Wire. Yeah, but a good, still a good show. Thought the first season was better, but sure, yeah. More of a coronation of the accomplishment. Number three, Mad Men season two. Banger. Which, of course, is Breaking Bad's AMC partner. Mm -hmm. Number four, Chuck season two. Absolutely not. <laughs> That show. I don't even think I've heard of that show. Smitty, you shouldn't. It sucked. It was so bad. Zachary Levi, who is now Shazam, mm. was the star of Chuck. That was his introduction. He worked at a Best Buy type store and then became a secret agent. <laughs> Number five, Lost Season 4. Overrated. Whoa. Some of the hype is starting to fade here. It also has a lot to do with time travel, mm -hmm. but I still love that season. Number six the office season five that's a good one it's a lot of network tv on this list the only comedy on this list mm -hmm. i guess chuck was a comedy sorry my bad chuck chuck was a piece of shit Battlestar mm. galactica season four nerds really in treatment season one i don't know if I've, i don't know what that is that david duchovny was in treatment the one where oh no there's a show where they were trying to like lose weight it was like a overeaters anonymous and they would get like enemas and colonics to like lose weight because they were so crazy about it is that not what in treatment was that is not in treatment it was an fx show no that's the one with gabriel byrne right I'm pretty sure i didn't make this up in treatment was gabriel byrne as a therapist and each episode is a different therapy session with a different person feel like i'm off on that one then and then number nine breaking bad season one hmm. 
Followed by Burn Notice Season 2. Burn Notice. Oh, burn Notice. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's ever seen Burn Notice. That's what Jeffrey Donovan, that's the dude that yep. can never close his mouth. He's always looking at like, showing his teeth. like eh. He really can't close his mouth at all. <laughs> also, he's the bad guy in Hitch. What a jerk. I hate him forever. Oh, someone must have changed the channel to USA because I just watched a Burn Notice. <laughs> so there's your landscape. The 2008 era. 14 years later... Better Call Saul is wrapping up its run as the best show on television after six seasons, handing off the belt, in my opinion, to Succession, which will pick it up for season four, the best long-running show. The turning point for me in Better Call Saul, when I fell head over heels in love with Kim Wexler. Oh, yes. Is the scene where she is, it's a montage of her making calls. And using the stairwell at HHM as her office, mm-hmm. putting up post-it notes. She's got the post-its. Yeah. The color of the post-its, the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was the moment for me. That was Walter White smashing his steering wheel after <laughs> blowing up Tuco for this show, which kind of sets the tone for how different it was. And I think we're going to dive in to season six, the second half. I'm going to pick it up with episode eight, Point and Shoot, which starts right where we left off. Howard is dead. Lalo is in their apartment. He sends Kim out as a diversion after originally wanting to send Jimmy. Jimmy argues to get Kim to go. Kim's about to do it. Jess, do you think that there's any chance Kim would pull this off when she knocks on Gus's door here? Absolutely not. Everyone knows the labyrinth that is Gus Fring's house. He has a fake house. He has a tunnel (laughs) underneath the street. There's a fake family. There's decoy Gus's. There is no way that he was going to get bested by Kim Wexler driving up the driveway with a gun. And Lalo knew that. And that was part of his evil mastermind plan. One of my favorite parts of the episode was right before she gets to Gus's house where she pulls up to the red light and a police car pulls up to her. And she thinks for a split second, like, maybe I'm going to say something. Maybe this is my chance. But then she's like, and there's just like this realization that they're in so deep that there's nothing that anyone can do to help them. There's no way to even explain the situation to the Albuquerque Metro Police Department. She's just got to go to his house and do it. Like you said, it was just a diversion. I love the way that Lalo is moving the pieces around the board in these two episodes, episode seven and eight. Did Gus invent the rehearsal? He's got a fake family and everything. (laughs) It's unbelievable. That's a good question. Is Nathan Fielder going to come out of an upstairs bedroom at some point? It's an episode for another day, but that's what I just thought of right now. I forgot about the fake family. The couple definitely was employing the Fielder method. (laughs) Just riding those bikes. Mm -hmm. For sure. And they're arguing about local zoning laws and the color of somebody's house. You can't let that shit slide. Yep. Maybe for some. The rehearsal itself is enough. So Gus figures it out because Lalo didn't care who got sent to the door. That's the tip off. He goes to the lavanderia. Lalo quickly dispatches of his henchmen, has the sweet little camcorder, vlog, Blair Witch Project video he's making for the head of the cartel. And he plays with his food a little bit. Gus uses Chekhov's gun planted there in episode five <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. to kill him. And so, Roy, I'll ask you, this is an example of what the show did the entire run, which was working with a fixed ending. Mm-hmm. Was your suspense diminished at all by this scene? I didn't have any suspense going into it. Like, I was wondering what was going to happen to Lalo, and that was it, because we know Gus would not have died in that scene. 
Now, how he was going to die, as a question. How Gus was going to pull it off, that was the question. And I think Gus really pulled it off lawlessly. I'm really surprised that Lalo was surprised at what just happened to him in that situation. But that was an excellent scene. And it was sad to see Tony Dalton go because that was his swan song. But that was a really good scene. Zach, Lalo had displayed a just superhuman ability in previous episodes. Jaw-dropping stuff. It was tough to see him go out like that, but I will throw a hypothetical at you right now. Yeah. Lalo in the John Wick universe. What happens? I mean, he's getting dusted by John Wick, but everyone does. He would put up a better fight than Common. I know that. He put up a way better fight than Common. Oh, man. Common died? Spoiler. (laughs) Shit. Cut that in post. Cut that. Cut that. that. My one issue with this is Lalo deserved a more charismatic death. Mm. Anyone can play Anton Sugar, right? Like, anyone can be the solemn, angry. Like, he was so charismatic as a mass murderer. He's cooking in the kitchen and he's smiling at people left or like I fell in love with him. Like I wanted to be his brother. He was so charming. And I just feel like, all right, little gun battle down in the future laboratory. Like I just felt like that was a little unbefitting of his character. I think he should have been nominated for some sort of hardware. I don't know what the criteria is uh, as far as best guest actor. If he played too many episodes or had too many hours or whatever. Or support an actor. Obviously, uh, can't have three people being nominated with uh, Jonathan Banks and Giancarlo Esposito. But he should have gotten some sort of recognition from the critics or the the Academy for something. Because he was that good. Yeah, I kind of think that he was... Like, we know Jonathan Banks and Gus are great characters, right? And they did a great job and they're great throughout this whole series. But I just thought he was way better. I agree. I thought the last two seasons he was easily, like, stole every scene. Yeah. He was one of the best villains of the entire universe. I thought about making like a top five Better Call Saul characters who don't show up in Breaking Bad list. If that list does exist, he has to be top two. Yeah, but... Yeah, between him and Nacho. Sensational. Well, I was going to say Kim Wexler would be... But Kim! Yeah. Yeah, Maze is going to flip the table here. You got three (laughs) dragons here. What's going on? Okay, actually, okay, I found the list. I found the list. Oh, she found the list. OLI. Daniel Wormold. Number five, Chuck McGill. Yes. Yep. Number four is Howard Hamlin. Mm-hmm. Number three is Nacho. And then two is Lalo and one is Kim. Ooh. But it's a tough list. For Chuck to be fifth. Unfortunately, Francesca is not eligible. Francesca is not eligible. You're right. There's a lot of characters, like side characters that aren't eligible because they this show did such a good job of finding a weird person from Breaking Bad and being like, hey, is that actor still around? Can we kind of like get them back yeah. in here? Like mm-hmm, Betsy yeah. Brandt in the finale. Yes. Yeah. I was happy to see her because actually come to think of it, we haven't seen Anna Gunn or RJ Mitty in the entire series of Better Call Saul, if I remember correctly. So there was no Skylar and there was no Junior. Yeah. Yes. They either flew out somebody to Albuquerque for a nice little week-long cameo stint or they promoted local Albuquerque actors Two major roles, like my guy, Peter Disseth, who played the Defender, Bill Oakley, who shows (laughs) up in the finale for an important role. He is a local (laughs) Albuquerque actor. Back to episode eight. We've got the scene where Gus is calling Lyle, the manager 
of Los Pollos Hermanos while he's getting a gunshot wound stitched up. Oh, uh, can Lyle be on my OLI or is he in Breaking Bad? Lyle's an OLI. He's a hardworking kid, man. He's sensational. Love Lyle. He'll take over at uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. Mike cleans up the apartment. He tells Kim and Jimmy Dak normal. There's the great shot where we've got him standing between them, which parallels the shot of Lalo at the beginning of the episode. And we get Howard and Lalo's corpses acting their ass off, Zach. It was so good. Buried in the super lab. So good because we saw recently in a movie that will be out on Cinephobe this week, a dead person breathe. <laughs> don't take it for granted folks it's not as easy to play a dead person as you think we've seen actual breathing from people who are supposed to be dead in movies and shows before yeah and that essentially wraps up most of the big questions from this show so jeremy i ask you were you surprised at how quickly things went coming into the second half of season six i was so surprised because I mean, I think none of us were able to anticipate exactly how long they would play out the Gene storyline going into the season. And so in turn, you knew that things needed to be wrapped up in two different universes. And you knew that there were these characters who, despite their atrocities, you loved, right? Like Lalo stole every scene. You wanted to see him on TV as much as possible. And I figured they would give you as much of those guys on TV as possible. And so when they wrapped that up as quickly as they did, I think it was just more of a question of, okay, so what is the rest of the story that you're going to tell us from here? Because now, now you've wrapped up almost everything. What are we going to see for the next few episodes? And I'm so glad that they did it as quickly as they did because all of the Gene storyline is incredible in the next few episodes. It was really confident Mm -hmm. and it was really patient, which are, Two things that this show is full of. Most series finales face an inordinate amount of pressure because they leave so many things to the end. But in many ways, this was the series finale. And they essentially had five epilogues (laughs) to tie up here. Well, no, I don't agree. They bounce back and forth so much that, no, I don't think these are epilogues. I think it's the story. I will fight you on this. Oh, boy. With a passion that is unnecessary, but I will fight you on this. I think everything goes together. I would take the in-between stance that the next episode is really the finale, but we can debate that beyond this moment. Uh, Maybe if you guys would let me, you know, describe what (laughs) happens and we could talk about it, then my statement would make sense, but it's okay. Episode nine is the end of the title as being blank and blank. It's fun and games. Every episode of this season was something and something. Gus smooth things over with Don Eladio, then gets to stop living in fear. We get that great sequence where he's opening the windows of his house for the first time. Yeah. He goes to the wine bar that he hasn't been to in a long time. He has a uh, the wine bar. Yes. Very flirty, seductive moment with a sommelier named David. Tension. <laughs> oh, there's big time. Yo, mm-hmm. both those guys are extremely charming and good looking. Like, I didn't hate it. Here's the thing, though. This is the first time we actually seen anything remotely close to tension when it comes to Gus. The first time in both shows. Or a personality, even. Well, what about the guy that he created the chicken with? Yes. Or is that just friendship? That was his brother. That was his brother? No, that was his lover. Oh, his lover. They don't explicitly say that, but that's what you infer from the way that he kind of reacts to it. And then he has the fountain 
in Mexico. Dedicado a Max. Right. Oh, yeah. But it's still tension. But yeah, it's the first time that you like wonder about Gus's personal life or his private life because he lets himself get carried away with this flirtatiousness with the waiter and then buttons himself back up and goes back home and doesn't let himself do anything fun. Yeah, he did catch himself. I got a meth empire to run. Yeah, we got chickens we got to kill. To cover up the meth. Mm-hmm. Let's go home, boys. We got laundry we got to wash. You guys are saying that it's because he wants to get back to the meth, but I think it's partially because the only person who's ever been close to him got killed and was used against him. So he doesn't want to put anybody in that position ever again. That's not going to keep you from having sex. I'm sorry. Like, that's just not. What? Primal urges as a human being. I'm not saying he's going to marry this dude, but if he just wanted to bang one out real quick, like he could have done. That's not like, oh, like, no, he had an empire to build. He's still building that lab. I'm the only one who thought this? Fine. No, I think you're kind of saying the same thing I'm saying, which is he's just all business. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's all business. But no, I don't think losing... The love of your, like, you're still gonna. It wasn't out of protection for the Somalia. Yeah, he has urges. He's a man. He's got oats to sow and they're wild. Oh, wow. I don't think he's doing much oat sowing, but nah. that's okay. Oh, no, because he's building a meth empire, like Jess said. We're on the same page here. We're sowing meth. We get Mike feeling guilty about Nacho, so he goes to Nacho's father, who rejects his promise of justice, just calls it vengeance. Mm-hmm. really calls him on his shit tough moment for mike mm-hmm. tries to do something good here tries to be a good person gets it thrown right back in his face and that's really the last scene that he has that's not a flashback kim and jimmy go to howard's wake and Ooh. kim has to step in that was rough Ooh. man i was cringing during that scene she can be so devastating mm-hmm. i love when she's sitting back watching Jimmy, try to do it. (laughs) Hold my beer. He's flailing. He's not doing well. She says, I know how to deal with this. Jumps in, bullies the widow, makes her feel terrible, makes her feel like it's her fault. They go to the parking garage where you first see them. One last passionate kiss. Because that was always the thing. A drama queen. Whenever they're doing bad stuff, that's what made Kim aroused. That was uncomfortable. I didn't like how you said that either. I didn't like aroused. Aroused? It was too casual and technical at the same time. I didn't like it. Oh, They make a point, though, of only showing them becoming physically intimate after they've pulled off a con. Victor and Giselle. You only see the moment where she actually maybe loves him more than just like a good friend as a romantic partner when they're sharing some passionate post-con kiss. And then you see them like the next morning. They never show any sort of other than Bob Odenkirk's ass a few times, there's no like mm-hmm. nudity or any graphic sexual innuendo, which is interesting. I mean, it's AMC. Yeah, but so. But Mad Men, I mean, Mad Men was sex all the time. Mad Men, they were boning everywhere at work, at home. Ah, the 60s. At other people's work, at other people's homes. The 60s were wild. When sex was sex. <laughs> then Kim resigns as an attorney and she breaks up with Jimmy. She's packing when he gets home. This is when Jimmy says, I love you for the first time on the show. And she replies, I love you too, but so what? Oof. Devastating. Is that worse than getting a thank you in return? You tell someone I love you and they're just like, thanks. That's worse, right? No, because thanks would mean you know that they don't love you. Right. And so you have no choice but to move forward. Mm-hmm. I love you too, but so what is just heartbreaking. Because then it's you've already gone through the motions of all of it and you know 
yes, we could have been something, but now it's too late. Mm -hmm. When love is not enough. And then there's an abrupt cut. Saul waking up with a hooker in his bed in the mansion we saw in the premiere. He's starting his day. The Bluetooth. It's a little snippet into the soul. Oh, that Bluetooth is awful to look at. It's like a bulky sports car in his ear. Yeah, it's the start of the 21st century, that Bluetooth. That's where we're getting to the turn, yeah. Mm -hmm. Episode 10 is full-time Cinnabon Jean, black and white. We get Carol Burnett in a mobility scooter. I love her. It's amazing. What is happening? What show are we watching? The episode is called Nippy, about the imaginary dog that he's looking for. A Cuban slang word. Oh, never mind. Oh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> this is the one where I said that this was the fly of the series, and people are not happy with me. One, I like the fly episode, Roy. Me too. Great episode. Oh, get out of here, no. And two, I like this episode. This episode was great. I agree. 100% agree. I think, personally, it was the weakest of the series run. All the episodes. I think it was the weakest. That's just my opinion, and all those trolls that uh, don't agree with me, you can kiss my ass. That's just it. Well, I think it's okay to disagree, and I will not kiss your ass. However, I think <laughs> why you probably didn't like it was because it subverted everyone's expectations. Because, like, we finally got to the Breaking Bad timeline the episode before, and then all of a sudden they're putting us in this completely different place where we don't know any of the characters. Gene's the only person we know. We also know Jimmy O'Hare from Parks and Rec, which was a great cameo. Oh, but great. Oh, he was amazing. Roy, I get you. I just think if the creators weren't so good at directing episodes and building tension and pulling shit out of nowhere, it could have fallen so flat and been so disappointing to have that when there's only so many episodes left. But I thought it was so well done and such a funny, great. quintessentially slipping Jimmy episode that it was perfect to put in this. Mm -hmm. Back to the roots. He just can't help himself. No. Yeah, this is where Gene broke bad. Exactly. Gene is done making Cinnabons. And it starts as he needs to gain leverage over this cab driver that intimidated him over the previous five seasons and was actually recast. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but... <laughs> Hard not to. The guy who played the <laughs> cab driver is different. And so... His plan to gain leverage is to involve him in a department store heist, get him in the game. And this heist involves feeding Jerry from Parks and Rec, Jim O'Hare, Cinnabon after Cinnabon after Cinnabon. Just the sheer volume of Cinnabons alone demonstrates the passage of time. This must have taken months. One man eating that many Cinnabons in a row would surely drop dead. Diabetic. <laughs> but he's still moving. He's mimicking the Chiefs' offensive line. He's still able to move. Oh, like yeah. He's a ballerina out there. There was also so much college football in this episode. I freaking loved it. He went through the entire season, probably. Tom Osborne this and Tom Osborne that. There was a Notre Dame shout-out. Conference realignment. Oh, my God. Bo Pelini. Blake Martinez, right? Yes. Yeah, Blake Martinez. <laughs> First of the run. Always to remind you that it's a period piece. <laughs> this is set in the 2000s. What a terrible heist idea, by the way. Just super high risk, low stakes. Mm -hmm. As someone who's worked in many a mall, hmm. let me tell you, that shit is not working. Okay? It's not working. Why not, Zach? Because you're doing one heist with all those items, you might have gotten a couple of thousand dollars out of that, right? Yeah. It's a gateway heist. There's no way the risk of it versus the reward and you can only do that heist once you can't do that every other week you have to like fake this delivery thing 
and have it just sit there. Like it was just not a high money heist at this point. But I think that's kind of the point because he's at Cinnabon every day. He's at this mall. So it's the one thing he knows really well. At Cinnabon every day and didn't gain a pound. That is real willpower by Gene. Most impressive thing he's done. He's just drinking a ton. That's his solution to this situation. Well, that's... I thought for sure that the manager of the department store was going to bust him at some point or that she was going to come back. But no, I do love the scene where they're out in the field and he's measured the whole thing based on footsteps and set up a dummy replica. That was great. The rehearsal. Such a great Saul slash Jimmy rehearsal for the big heist. Yeah. I do love hearing your mall bona fides though, Zach. Please uh, look. <laughs> tell us more about mall security oh, in Omaha, Nebraska. I have run a Gap stock room. I have run a Raider Image store and the basement storage facility. I have run an Oakley store oh, man. before. You still got them Oakleys? I know my malls. I know mall security. They would have way more than just two guys at night. They're going to have a patrol that is not just every once in a while. Trust me. Even in Omaha, that thing is getting lit up by security. Did anyone else laugh out loud when he slipped and fell? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Slipping Jimmy. Laugh out loud. Cartoonishly, like, feet up in the air, and I was dying. It was amazing physical comedy. Just, like, the most comically blatant, embarrassing slip and fall at a mall. We were all there in seventh grade, and it's all happened to one of us. (laughs) I was like, God damn. Oddly specific. It was really such a silly episode in that way. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of humor to it. And the sad sack monologue that gene gives to distract him yeah which with all jimmy lies comes from a kernel of truth Mm -hmm. there's some reality to it but he can just whip that up no problem Mm -hmm. and then he threatens the guys and he says i have this over you you rat on me i rat on you we're in it together hey guys it's mike fuentes a lot's changed over the years one thing that hasn't the great taste of miller light another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy, something that makes me smile, something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Episode 11 is Breaking Bad. The long-anticipated cameos by Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston. We get a little conversation in the RV after the burial scene where, of course, Saul referenced Lalo and Ignacio, which kind of started the whole Better Call Saul engine there, mm-hmm. working towards that one line. When Jesse asks who Lalo is, Saul replies, nobody, which is what Lalo told Howard shortly before killing him. Shows full of millions of callbacks like that. Then we're kind of jumping around here. We see Francesca in the Gene timeline. 
She drives out to a payphone, finds some money in a drainage ditch, gives some updates on some characters we know, and then Gene calls Palm Coast Sprinklers in Florida. We do not get to hear this conversation, but he's calling where Kim works. Then, emboldened by this call, which did not go well, he's really back in the game. He gets Jeff and Buddy to help him drug and steal the identities of random men at a karaoke bar. And there. He's using the name Victor. And then the episode ends as Buddy gets cold feet because one of the Marks has cancer. And Gene takes matters into his own hands. And Gene tells him that just because you have cancer doesn't mean that you're not an asshole. Take it from me. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. It is. It was good insight from him. Yeah, same rule goes towards people in wheelchairs. Roy. What? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? No, don't be an asshole. I don't care if you're disabled. I don't care if you have cancer. I don't care if you're sick. Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> Words to live by. I want to say this. I thought the cameos were crazy weak. It was just like, remember these guys? All right. See you later. (laughs) This episode didn't do it for me for sure. The next two do though. Yeah. I like the episode. I like the whole like drugging the guys and like stealing stuff and everything. It was a good storyline. They built tension with it. Different kind of tension, but they, they built suspense with it. But the problem was like, I just felt like from the start, it's like, cool, Aaron Paul, Brian Cranston. And it's just like nothing out of that. And it made me just think like that was a weak way to like, hey, remember these guys, they were the stars of the previous show. That scene with all three of them together, I don't think it furthered the storyline in any way. It was very fan servicey, whereas I felt that the one with Walt in the finale did kind of serve mm-hmm. a purpose in bringing this yeah, like the story full sure. circle. And I thought the one with Kim and Jesse actually was really, really interesting. And I'm, I like that they kind of overlapped in that weird way. And I thought the dialogue was interesting. But I agree that Zach, I think this was definitely the w- weakest of the callbacks to the Walt and Jesse timeline with Saul. Well, this particular callback was referenced in the finale. This is what Saul said. This was my introduction to Walter White. That was the reference. That was the callback. Mm hmm. Yeah, but I think fans have been talking about the did Lalo send you line for mm-hmm. years. So I don't know if most fans needed that callback to remember that that was how they were all all met. But I mean, yes, in terms of like showing it and then showing why it's relevant now, that is like a storytelling technique, I guess. I just didn't. And then also like Jesse's so old now, like it was very yeah. <laughs> jarring. <laughs> he did look old. He looked old. I don't know if you guys have seen the whole Fast and Furious franchise, but there is a point where they bring Lucas Black back into it, but try to make him look the same as he did in Tokyo Drift. And it is a it's more hair dye than Greg Cody used. I'll tell you that. Like, it's some weird. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. it's no, some no, no, weird no. hair dye job. It's Harsh. a weird like he's got veneers and like blindingly white teeth. It's That's how Jesse looked to me here, where it was just like, what are you trying to do here? I'm just glad they didn't do the thing the Irishman did. Tokyo Drift is like Rocky Five. It never happened. Rocky Five's good. I'll get out of here. All right. Zach, book Roy Bellamy for Tokyo Drift on Cinephobe. And Rocky Five. No, 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 no. I'm not watching that crap again. No, sir. (laughs) Episode 12, Waterworks, The Return of Kim. The much-needed checkup on our beloved Kim. And she is living the most miserable Titusville, Florida existence, self-imposed. We get a terrible sex scene with her dim-witted boyfriend who keeps saying, yep. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> yep. Jesus. 
As we've talked about, this is the only sex scene we've ever seen Kim have. I'm so uncomfortable. I have a question for Jeremy. Jerebear, you've been to Titusville on your trips to St. Augustine, right? It's just like that. Describe it for us. So Titusville, it's actually funny because I, so I went to UCF and we know yeah well fair enough <laughs> i can do that as a notre dame fan people do that to me too yeah it's reasonable i went to notre dame oh did you i so there's a specific exit going back from uh from downtown orlando to try to go back toward ucf's campus and what i realized at some point is one says orlando and the other says titusville and I don't think I've ever seen anyone merge toward the Titusville one on purpose. I think the only people I've ever seen merge onto Titusville were the people who couldn't get over to go toward Orlando, to go toward either downtown or UCF's campus. It is that level of no one goes over there. Uh, not to take shots, but taking shots. It is exactly as described within uh this show i felt like it was completely accurate to the uh general population of of titusville or the greater oviedo or all of these middle of nowhere areas surrounding ucf and downtown orlando you're 100 percent taking shots though yeah taking shots it's fine yeah but nobody's going to titusville for gas i've literally i'm telling you what i'm saying i've never seen a person drive toward titusville on purpose at least are you sure it exists you know what it might not. Maybe it's just an exit sign and then it just goes off and takes you back up north toward Gainesville or something. Real Floridians know. It's near Cape Canaveral. Can we do a little bit more Florida geography here? Like, I feel like this is really bringing me back. We're diving in. Yeehaw Junction. That's what people are searching for. Yeehaw Junction. Let's go. <laughs> what do you know about the Space Coast? Ah, space nothing. Coast. coast to coast? Space ghost? A cartoon? Is that what you're talking about? Space yeah. ghost coast to coast. Origin of Brack. <laughs> so Kim is a brunette. She's working at a sprinkler company. It's the Dunder Mifflin of sprinkler companies. We get the other side of the conversation. It does not go well. And while Gene is prompted to launch into his crime spree, this prompts Kim to deal with her shit once and for all. She goes back to Albuquerque. We see her walking through her old stomping grounds. There's that great moment where she looks over and sees a young female lawyer trying to straighten up mm -hmm. some guy for his court date, just like she used to do. And she files an affidavit explaining what happened to Howard, then takes that affidavit to his widow. And even though it is unlikely they will prosecute her, she is giving herself up for punishment here. And on the bus back to the airport, Kim breaks down in tears. Ray Seahorn. Roy, I don't want to get too sidetracked by talking about how much the Emmys are trash. But if she doesn't there get a go. trophy for this, bro. We riot. We riot. She's also put up there as a supporting actress, which is just a whole nother thing. She's the co-lead of this show. Uh-huh. This whole final season has been easily half her. We see a flashback to... Saul and Kim signing their divorce papers. That's how the episode starts is he's bouncing that ball yeah. like he used to in the cell phone store. Right. He's a complete asshole. She thinks about talking, but decides better of it and walks out of his life. On the way out, she shares a cigarette with none other than Jesse Pinkman. Jesse asks if Saul lives up to his bombastic advertising, eventually reiterating his question as, is he good? And after some contemplation, uh, inhale, and a flick of the cigarette, Kim replies, when I knew him, he was. So Jess, I want to ask you, Jesse and Kim, 
are the two survivors of this show. What did you think of this scene? I liked it because I never would have thought that the two of them would ever cross paths when this series started. I thought they were the two least likely characters we'd ever see interact. So in that sense, it was surprising. But then I also thought that there was like a nice symmetry between them because Jesse kind of got swept into Walt's crazy world, but was also definitely a driving force behind it and was complicit in it. And in the same ways, Kim was that to Saul. Like they were partners, but also she was ultimately better than him and more redeemable than him which is why i think these two characters end up getting away like those like they both deserved freedom after all the things that they did and also were put through so i think like there was a lot they had in common in that sense they obviously like would never know it they'd never you know in fact like when this happens it's after kim has seen howard get murdered in her home and before jesse has really done anything with walt so like they're on kind of different timelines here, but it, it was just like really interesting to put them together because I think probably everyone thought we'd get like a Saul and Jesse scene when we when we found out that Aaron Paul was going to be in this season. And I don't think anyone expected Kim and Aaron Paul. Back in Omaha, Gene gets too cute with his identity thievery. He's drinking booze in this guy's house. He's stealing a watch that he likes. He had a chance to walk out the door. I have a question about all of this. So Jimmy McGill gets booked in Cook County for doing crimes in his younger years. And then he becomes Saul Goodman. Everyone knows that he was Jimmy McGill at some point. And then he's wanted for all these crimes. And then he does more crimes leaves his fingerprints everywhere. His DNA is all over this guy's house. How did he think he was going to get away with this after he broke in and like, you know, cause this like, I get how they were doing the rest of the crimes where they were not leaving a trace and all that. And they were drugging people, whatever. But this guy, he literally breaks through the glass and is walking around his house doing ridiculous shit. Like this guy's obviously going to know he got robbed and his DNA is everywhere. How does that work? I think that he was more reckless because he thought this guy would die. Of cancer. I feel like that's a lesson he should have learned with Walter White. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. <clears throat> he also wasn't going to die tomorrow. That's the other thing. He's also washed, to answer your question in a more specific way. Wow, no. I think subconsciously he wants to get caught, right? Right, yeah. I think by yes. that point he wants to get caught for sure. But then when he realizes he is getting caught, he still makes a break for it. Like he doesn't turn himself in. He doesn't really just surrender like he does try to actually escape so maybe he doesn't really know what he wants but yes i think like deep down he maybe does want to get caught but it's just like one of the more reckless stupid things that he could do is get his fingerprints all over this guy's house i feel like well he's just sort of pushing the thrill right like he Mm -hmm. he at this point is only living for these moments because he was living as Gene fine for a while. And then, you know, that phone call sort of sends him and Kim both in these directions of like, all right, I've got to change what these last 16 months or whatever it was have been. So for him to kind of just push this as far as it can possibly go, because now he's been reminded now of Walt because of the guy coming back and saying, oh, you know, he had cancer. So now he's just going to go even further into his destructive behavior. So I think in some way, whether he knows he wants to be caught or not, that's kind of got to be what's happening there. I think that he is so skewed 
by his own lawyering abilities mm-hmm. that he thinks he can get himself out of it. Yeah. Who cares if I get caught? I'll figure it out. There's a loophole somewhere. He gets greedy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's stealing. He gets greedy and it begins to undo him. Yeah, hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. The drinking the booze during the crime, that was just pure confidence. That was celebrating in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. So outside, Jeff, not really sure what's going on with Jeff here, but he drives straight into a dumpster. He's an idiot. That's what happened. <laughs> idiot is that a concussion from when he hit his head on the floor in the department store what's going on there because he just (laughs) freaks out cte no the cop parked behind him you guys don't think he did it on purpose yeah i think he's trying to distract the cops create a distraction that's what i thought yeah create a diversion what a selfless interpretation on jeff's behavior here what else could it be i think he panicked and then we like never hear from him again that's it no he's still in prison he's waiting for jimmy to pay his bail it's like huel and breaking bad he's just (laughs) there forever we never know what happens to him at least we got that closure in better call saul during the phone call with francesca true she said he went back down (laughs) to new orleans thank goodness and the next prequel about giancarlo stanton and right giancarlo stanton stanton Stanton? what did i call him joey gallo (laughs) (laughs) giancarlo esposito i was like that doesn't it sound right, but it also does. It's Mike Stanton, by the way. <laughs> and the next prequel with Giancarlo Esposito in Chile, we'll find out what happened to Jeff. Well said. That was <laughs> Do a pickup. <laughs> My pick for prequel spinoff that we won't get is Young Lalo. Yeah, starring Tony Dalton. Young Lalo, like Young Shelton. Yeah, let's do it. Make a fucking ghost. Lalo, for all I care, like let him hunt Albuquerque. Yes. Like, I, I want to see it all. I love that idea. Make him have a twin brother. Whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Ghost Lalo. Lolo. Lolo and Lalo. Yeah. So he goes to bail Jeff out. He goes to get Carol Burnett because he's going to have her do the changing of hands with the money. And we get Carol Burnett plugging in the dial-up internet so she can do a little sleuthing. Now, Zach, what search engine do you think she was using? <laughs> she mentions it, right? Did she? I think she says Ask Jeeves. Was it Ask Jeeves? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I would have just guessed the Netscape Navigator search bar. Web crawler? Yeah, web crawler. Bing. MSN? AOL? Look, my dad, who uses Facebook often, doesn't know that Facebook is a website or an app. He doesn't really understand what he's using or how he's using it. There's no way she knew how to find this. This is the one hole in the entire series. No, that's not true. Dude, my grandma goes on YouTube all the time and searches for like, she loves like sibling reunion videos. Like she'll search for like people who haven't seen like a family member in a long time and then they come home and see each other. Yeah, I swear to God. She goes on YouTube on her phone and just watches it. And sometimes they're like French, like, and she doesn't understand any of the languages and she just watches them all the time. Wow. There are some very tech-savvy grandmas. Don't be ageist. She's using dial-up. I thought you hated old people. Hold on. I thought you hated old no, people. No, I hate kids. I hate kids. Young no, it's people. It's the completely opposite. Oh. Well, I hate kids and old people. Middle zone is my sweet spot. You're the Goldilocks of ages. You just only like 30 and 40-year-olds. 33 to 42. It's the only age range I actually like. You don't like college kids, huh? Damn. Thanks, Zach. Jerry Bear, let's turn our cameras off. Yeah, we're out, I guess. Unless you're rich and you want to take care of me, then I'll go older than 42. (laughs) Her keyword searches were strong. It was con man Albuquerque. That's what yielded the results. Why would she search that? 
That's my point. Why would she search that? She just loves con man videos. She got the vibes, man. No, she heard him on the phone and recognized his voice. Put it together. She got suspicious. He started talking about like bail bonds and Albuquerque. It clicked in her head and she was like, oh shit, that sounds familiar. Let me pull up the YouTube, turn off cat piano and search Saul Goodman. How would she have known that in the first place though? She lives in Omaha. No, because they used to live in Albuquerque and her son was in the system. They probably solicited a public defense lawyer at some point. It's a stretch. For poor Jeffy when he was in trouble. Our guy Bill Oakley probably worked the case. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry guys, I'm entrenched. I cannot get off this point. I don't agree. It's Carol (laughs) Burnett, Zach. How about that? Yes. Best guest actress. Let's go. Another Emmy. <laughs> Another Emmy. Everybody gets one. We can swear on this, by the way. Yeah, you can swear, Maze. Just say it's Carol Shitting Burnett <laughs> like you wanted. It's Carol <laughs> Burnett. It's Carol fucking Burnett. All right, let's get that done. Thank you. I was born ready. I'm Ron Swanson. So when he realizes what she's looking at, we get that great shot of the reflection in his glasses being in color, mm-hmm. a peek into the colored life of Saul Goodman. And he threatens her with the dial-up internet cord. And then, life alert. That was a great little twist, that she was going to use the life alert. Sales have gone up, probably, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 200%. Saul Goodman defeated by life alert. I did like that old people were his thing for his whole career, Mm, right? Sandpiper. And then he was foiled by Carol Burnett. Like, the old people that always trusted him. One of them bests him at the end because she saw through the bullshit. Do you have a theory on the black and white versus color? Because you brought up the glint of color and the glasses of Jean. Is this a representation of Jimmy losing his color going to Omaha? He's lost so much vibrance in life. There is definitely some of that. I do think the biggest reason is just to differentiate. Mm. If it was that, when he's getting his swag back and he's looking at those shirts in the mall and he's thinking about putting them on. Those could have been in color. There's one more thing that's in color that we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. The color in the black and white world is just to refer to that time of his life. But also I think there's an element of film noir, which is the black and white movies that Jimmy and Cam used to watch together. All the movies they watched were like 50s movies. Exactly. Movie night, takeout. That was their romance. So I like the way they used it. I think that they could have gotten sucked into using it too much. And it was just kind of elegant. But also, it's Nebraska. It's Titusville. These are not colorful places. It's like Pleasantville. Harsh. Wow. Personal hell. Wow. Basically. I just think it's like Saul Goodman and Kim Wexler were the vibrant things in his life. And when they're gone, everything's just kind of bleh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think of Albuquerque as like, wow, what a colorful place. But like, I've also never been there. So I don't know. A whole bunch of corn. <laughs> in Albuquerque? <laughs> no, Omaha. Omaha, Nebraska. Just canned corn in Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, the college team called the Cornhuskers. You know? Albuquerque does seem very nice, though, based on this show. I would definitely visit now. Lots of color in Albuquerque. Because of the meth empire that was there? Mm-hmm. And the chicken. No, I mean, the desert landscape looks very pretty. Yes. I think it probably looks prettier through the lens of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad than it would in reality. But wow, that's just my feeling. We're just taking shots everywhere. We're just taking shots at cities today. What cities are not bad? I'll make a short list. Fuck Cheyenne, Wyoming. How about that? Yes. They know what they did. Yes, they know what they did. Stayed at a haunted hotel there and I didn't get haunted. The entire state of Wyoming. How about that? 
And then the big finish, episode 13, Saul gone. Saul gone, man. Mm-hmm. And we get three flashbacks sprinkled throughout this episode to the desert with Mike, to the disappears basement with Walt, and the early days of the show, maybe season one or slightly before with Chuck. Mm-hmm. Each of them concerns the idea of a time machine, which Walt angrily dismisses in one of my favorite little rants ever. Oh, we're getting into quantum mechanics now? (laughs) (laughs) The idea of regrets, things you would change. So Mike initially mentions the date of his son's death before going back further to when he himself broke bad in the 80s as a cop in Philadelphia. That's another prequel. You want to trot ancient Jonathan Banks? You cannot try to make him look younger. Nope. This is... (laughs) No, he's going to be like Robert De Niro and the Irishman. (laughs) And then Walt... Brings up Grey Matter, which we know well from the Breaking Bad days, mm-hmm. the company that he helped start. It starts with a regret, and then it just turns into what it always is, which is Walt is still pissed. Angry guy. He sucks. He had a death sentence. Some therapy, buddy. He had a death sentence with the cancer. Oh, now you're giving excuses for people with chronic illness. Okay, Roy. Yeah, now. <laughs> Interesting backpedal. He was an asshole. Yeah, sure. He's still an asshole. I didn't say <laughs> I'm done. He's still an asshole, but there's no excuse for that, I guess, right? Is what I said earlier. Well, whatever. You caught me. (laughs) (laughs) And as Jimmy is delivering groceries to Chuck, Chuck tells him that it's never too late to go back and change things. And he's reading H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, which we've seen twice this season on Jimmy's nightstand and also in Saul's mansion in that montage from the beginning. Saul's answers to these conversations were that he'd go back and invest in Berkshire Hathaway. Money. He'd stop his knee from chronically hurting by not slipping and falling one time. And he rejects Chuck's idea. He doesn't have regrets. This is the life he chose. And Walt sums it up beautifully. Definitely my favorite line of the episode. Maybe the whole second half of the season. So you were always like this. Slipping Jimmy through and through. Jeremy, which was your favorite of these little flashbacks into the past? Gosh, I thought all of them were really great because it kind of felt like a ghost of Christmas past thing. Mm -hmm. His way of ultimately learning the lessons that led him to making the decision he makes at the end of this episode. Like all of those people were such key moments of his life. Um, For me, my favorite was with Walt because it just, it it brought you right back into the frantic energy. Um, And really this is the first time where, We've seen the two of them interact where we know, you know, they were really the kingpins behind this. Like without, without Saul, Walt really truly doesn't exist. And so to now see them in this space, it it was really kind of a special thing to be able to kind of creep back to. And the line that you said, the, so you were always like this. There's a, an element of that that's true, but there's also an element of it that's that's really not. That it's him sort of always putting on this facade to get people to believe that that's the way he is, that there's nothing underneath, that he has no regrets. It's his avoidance constantly throughout the entire show that just gets represented there too, like in the worst way, because that's him. Ah, you know, I wish my knee didn't hurt. It's not even the one that he has with Mike where he's like, I'd make billions. It's just... Ah, uh, you know, I've got an issue with my knee and and literally avoiding the topic completely. And Walt, in so many ways, we see is his Chuck just in a different part of his life. And that, I think, was 
kind of hammered home by the scene. So I, I really love that one. Yeah. And Walt is able to deliver this cutting line without acknowledging his own <laughs> faults. Exactly. He's a narcissist. Oh, he's such an asshole. It's crazy. Like in this universe where it's not the Breaking Bad universe that's so centered on Walt, where you're sort of viewing everything through his prism to bring him in twice to be like the worst version of himself. Cause in that first scene with Jesse, he's being such a fucking asshole also. <laughs> and then to have him be this way here at the end, it just reminds you how self-absorbed he is. And just this, this chip on it, being able to blame all he blamed a meth empire on Gretchen and Elliot, essentially like by saying, Oh, it's gray matter. And you know, that just changed my whole life. And it led me down this path, like just no acceptance of the reality. I think it also shows you, though, how when you watch Breaking Bad and you see Saul and like, obviously, that character didn't have any dimension when they wrote it. He was kind of a supporting character. Like you just see the skis ball attorney uh-huh. and you don't have any empathy for him or think anything about like what he's been through or how he ended up the way he is. And so it's it flips that completely where now you're like, you know, when you watch Breaking Bad, you do feel bad for Walt because like he's going through, you know terminal cancer, all these reasons, but he's also, you know, making very evil decisions and they don't excuse his decisions. I mean, for some fans, they do. The same thing you could say about Saul watching Better Call Saul. It's a complete 180. I mean, watching Breaking Bad, Saul was a comic relief. Every time he showed up, went for a laugh, went for a chuckle. This wasn't the case for Walter in a Better Call Saul. This is a different case. More empathy for Jimmy in that situation. But yeah, yeah, absolutely right, Jessica. In Better Call Saul, you're finally seeing it how other characters see it, where in Breaking Bad, you just see Saul as what Walt sees Saul as. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's so one-dimensional. He's just used as his shitty criminal lawyer. View through lenses, basically. Both shows. I'll admit, I was confused at the mic flashback at first because I'm like, all right, wait, what the hell did I miss? What's going on here? And then it took me. And then once I saw him with like both the bags, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. I I remember this. (laughs) That was a great episode. It was a great episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That episode's amazing. So Gene flees. He gets captured in a dumpster, foiled by those terrible plastic wrappings that have created so much comedy over the years with Larry David and others. <laughs> he spills all the diamonds in the dumpster and he gets arrested. Then he gets to confront Marie Schrader, Hank's widow. She was great, by the way, in that scene. Yes, she was. She was phenomenal. It's got to be crazy to put down a character for eight years or so, come back and just dive right back into it at their most intense. Was she wearing purple, by the way? She wearing purple. Well, it was in black and white, so we can't tell. But you know she was. She was. You know? She had to have been wearing purple. I don't know. I feel like after Hank died, maybe she went off purple. She lost her color, too? Just everything changed. We'll never know. Went to blue, maybe, because she was depressed? I was going to say black, but... Oh, yeah. Grieving. Grieving it. Grieving it. So I read all the charges that, <laughs> that Jimmy was going to get. Life. Plus. Life plus. 190 years. That's the next <laughs> streaming service coming out. It's excessive. That means if he dies and comes back, he's got to go to penitentiary. That's no Richard Pryor joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is just way too much look at me, Louie, by the Justice Department there. <laughs> oh, we're going to throw 300 years at you. It's like, get over yourself. 
Mm-hmm. If you're getting 300 years, the freaking president better be at this trial. Yeah. <laughs> give me another 50. I would just keep tacking it on like it's breakfast club. Like, you want another Saturday? <laughs> yeah. Give me another one. <laughs> Saul is able to negotiate this down to seven years. Bernie Madoff's prison. Oh, he's the best. No, originally, the prosecutors wanted to give him via the plea deal 30 years. And somehow he got seven and a half years after that, which is just like, wow, that's amazing. Then he goes for the ice cream. And that is where they draw the line. This is when he learns that Kim did the affidavit. And so now he's intrigued by this. He drags Bill Oakley into this mess. And then he teases that he has more information regarding Kim on the Howard situation. We get to see Kim allow herself to volunteer at a legal office. There's another spinoff. Kim working at a legal office in Titusville, Florida. In Florida. Well, you're just trying to get her that Emmy, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Hey, man. <laughs> whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Needs to happen. Don't forget the buzzing exit sign in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. That was a good callback. Incredible. Chicanery. That episode where Chuck's on the stand. That was the best episode, probably, I think, in my opinion. The chicanery episode. I did love that episode. That was a really good one. That's a great one. The phone ringing in Chuck's pocket is definitely a turning point moment. Yep. So as I figured had to happen, Saul and Kim are reunited in court. He's in his full regalia, and he starts the same sob story about how he did everything out of fear of getting killed by Walt and Gus and everybody. And then he deviates. He starts telling the truth a little bit that he saw an opportunity. And after being sworn in, he turns back towards Kim and admits that he just wanted her to be there to hear it. Tells everyone how essential he was to the operation. And this is an admission of guilt. It's also an attempt to get the credit he feels he deserves and also endear himself to his ex-wife. He does express guilt about Howard. Kim had the guts to leave town, but he's the one that ran away. Then he brings up Chuck, which has really nothing to do with anything except his own pathos. Jimmy thinks it's a crime, even though Bill doesn't. By the way, that was an admission of a regret. Mm -hmm. The theme of the episode, yes. The only admission of regret. Then on the bus, prisoners chant, better call Saul. That was great. Echoes something he told Walt about going into prison like John Dillinger Mm -hmm. and being celebrated. He's even fist bumping dudes while he's making bread in the kitchen. And Kim comes to see him masquerading as his lawyer. Her bar license never expired. They share one last cigarette slumped against the wall. And the flame and ember is in color. This is a beautiful bookend to the pilot because the first time we saw Kim was in the parking lot of HHM. Also slumped against the wall. Also sharing a cigarette. Similar jag of light. There's almost no dialogue. She jokes about being impressed that it's negotiated down to seven years. 86 years now. Might get it down to 80 if he's good. And as she walks out, Jimmy does the finger guns that she did in the fifth season finale. Bang, bang. And that's it. Some terrible basketball being played in the terrible background, basketball. by the way. Just terrible basketball. Well, I didn't even notice. Oh, it's off. This is Zach Harper's specialty. <laughs> Got to go back and look at background it. Pick up. Background pickup. Jeremy, let me ask you, satisfied by all of this? Yeah, I was completely satisfied by it. To me, this show was always supposed to end in a courtroom. The show was always supposed to end with Kim and Jimmy. And that's where it did. Like, it was their story um, from the beginning of it, right? They ultimately brought in the cartel. They brought in some of those dynamics. 
but it never got to the heights that Breaking Bad did in focusing on like the crazy violence and, you know, everything that was going on there. It obviously had its moments. Um, but this story was about the two of them. And this story was about like Jimmy McGill and Kim Wexler. And so to have them in the end be in a courtroom, have Jimmy or rather Saul starting with the admission thinking like, hey, am I doing it? But seeing the obvious distrust from Kim of like, is this just another angle that you're playing? To then have to take it the step further to not just admit all of his crimes, but then also admit the things that weren't really crimes to show like, hey, this is me wearing all of it. I'm, I know I was a monster and I literally am giving myself up for life in prison just to show you that I get it you know, that I know you've done now done the right thing. This is the closest thing I can do to the right thing just for you. Um, and to be able to have them share one last moment together, the the finger guns, like all the callbacks. Um, to me, it was, it was a perfect ending because even if it, if it wasn't, you know, some giant climactic moment, um, this show wasn't really full of that. This show was understated and about relationships and people more so than Breaking Bad was. So to me, I thought it was the perfect way to wrap up the series. Zach, how do you feel? Too many callbacks. Oh, <laughs> crying out loud, man. Too many callbacks, like, just throughout. Like, I'm not going to remember all that shit, okay? Like, yeah, I remembered maybe 75% of the stuff. You're like, oh, callback to this, callback. It's too many callbacks. The show was great. Super satisfied by it. I actually, I didn't really? need everything wrapped up the way it needed to be. Like, I don't need every loose end tied up, like, in a show finale. Like, I'm cool leaving some stuff. But they did it in a way that was great. Kim was great. Saul sh showed that he still had it, like, to get it down to seven years. Uh, Marie, I thought that was a super powerful scene and everything. And, um, yeah, I just thought – I guess my only real criticism is just, like, I could have used, like I said, a better end for Lalo. And, and I could have used a little bit more Lalo, but I, it feels like that's nitpicking. Like, this was just an awesome, really well-done show. Jessica, how did you feel after the – big grand finish was i satisfied no i was sad is fied mm. because i didn't want the show to end Woof! wow you're a writer <laughs> well okay but for real i was i was satisfied with the ending i thought that i didn't want jimmy to go to jail like i wanted him to still get away with it but like obviously he had to clear his conscience and fess up to be able to redeem his himself and his for his character to be fully like whole and like he he just I don't know he had he had brother issues he had probably some girlfriend mommy issues and like he just needed to come clean and like he would never have been able yeah. to start his life over the way Kim did if he didn't just admit all of the random bad shit that he had done and move forward. So like, I get it. Like he had to confess. He had to go to jail. He had to face the music. I think it's very funny and fitting that he's the only character from this universe that actually has to serve a prison sentence. And he's also <laughs> like the most legally shrewd and smartest and, and couldn't get away, even though, you know, I would have never expected that watching Breaking Bad that Saul Goodman's going to be the one who ends up behind bars. Um, so it was kind <laughs> of like a little funny. It was everything. And I like that the ending was a little open ended and that when Kim's leaving, you don't know if she's going to come back. You don't know if right. they're going to keep talking to one another or she'll ever see him again or if that's it. 
forever. And then she kind of starts her new life with some closure. And I like that that wasn't answered and we will never know. Um, because I think you can kind of interpret whatever you want from that. And so it just kind of left some things said, some things unsaid, but overall it was just like, I couldn't think of, I can't think of a better way for it to have ended. Like I couldn't write a better ending myself. It had like every kind of element in it that I wanted. I don't know. After that satisfied line, you might be able to. That's, yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. top notch. I'm working on it. You might be there. Send that to Vince Gilligan. Was I satisfied? I was sad. It's finally over. <laughs> Satisfyingly, you should get a Webby for that. Satisfying is a good time to be workshopping this. I think this is a great, great use of our time. This is the practice pod, right? Yeah, we're gonna do it for real after, right? Yeah, it is a rehearsal. This is just the rehearsal. Yeah, this conversation's going pretty well, right? Okay, I mean, do you think so? I don't know. I'm so far so good. I mean, we've been having fun, I assume. We've been sharing some laughs so far, yeah. Hope to continue that way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's no accident. Everything that's happened so far today, I've rehearsed it dozens of times. Roy, what do we do now, man? What do we do without these shows in our lives? Hold on. Was Roy satisfied? I need to know. Yeah, I was satisfied. I was happy that Kim was not killed off. That was the biggest concern I had going into the second half. Same note, too. The fact that Jimmy ended up going to prison was... I don't know if I should say I was surprised. I mean, there are two instances in the situation, either dead or in prison. But we get to the current timeline. Who's going to kill him? So at that point, I was like, okay, he's going to go to jail or go to prison. So there's that. That got out of the way. I was sad that Anna Gunn didn't come back. Everybody else did, except for her and except for Junior. She would have killed him. Well, she probably would have killed him. Yeah. Now, what if Kim dies, but it's just a random hit and run from Skylar? <laughs> That's not random, then. <laughs> Oops. There are no accidents. I don't think they could have done a better job with the finale. So they did, it was great. It was perfect the way it was. 14 years of this universe. Unless somehow, some way, they uh, do come up with a spinoff. Ghost Lalo. With Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> Giancarlo Stanton's story. Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> Follow Kaylee and Holly. Mm, okay. Huh? Okay. Huh? Okay. What about the Kettlemans? The Kettle. The Kettlemans. The Kettlemans. Oh, Kettlemans. Oh, I'd watch the Kettlemans. If you told me that the Kettlemans was debuting in, in mm-hmm. the fall, I'd be very excited about it. I'd watch them. Yeah. This run, this 14-year run is done, man. I don't know what we do from here. I don't know where we go. I don't know what we do. We just sit down and for the next two months, watch baseball, I guess. Now just watch it again. Um, just watch it again. Yeah. Just start yeah. Breaking Bad over and go in whatever order you like. Yes. This show has a way of still creating suspense and keeping you on your toes, even though you mostly know how it's going to go, how things will play out. Like Roy said, the only real big concern going into this season was what happens to Kim, and she lives, so I guess that's a win. Yeah, but in Titusville. Yeah, is that really living? Kim walks out with an I lived bitch t-shirt on. <laughs> yeah, you might as well die if you gotta live in Titusville. You know, oh my god, Jesus. Well, is that on the Welcome to Titusville sign? Yeah, it's on the postcard. You might as well be dead. <laughs> you have to interpret the ending as now that he's come forward and she maybe has some closure, like maybe she will stop punishing herself. For what happened to Howard. Right. It seems like it. Maybe she will 
go take the bar exam in another state and become a lawyer again. Nah. Although they'll probably read the sworn affidavit I, I that she know. wrote about witnessing a murder and maybe not want her to be a lawyer there. But like, I don't know, she could do some sort of legal work without people knowing what happened. But you have to kind of like guess that she moves on in some way and he just becomes like the prison chef <laughs> and all the other prisoners rally around Saul. They love him. I don't know. This season on Prison Bakers, <laughs> Saul Goodman competes. It is ironic, though, that Walt was the cook and then Saul becomes the cook and he's making various doughs in various states and various forms of imprisonment. That bread looked good, by the way. Yeah, that looked delicious. <laughs> For a prison bread, that looked amazing. Kidding? That was amazing. That was some Godfather cooking level of prison action. Probably got some bad wheat, though. Some bad flour. Yeah, I'm sure there's some weakness in the ingredients but margarine it looked good i think that's as good a place as any to check out of this episode of mystery crate thanks so much to jessica smitana zach harper jeremy tache roy bellamy i'm anthony mays we will not see you again to talk about this show ever because it's done go watch it from the beginning again saul great man i practice every day to find some clever lines to say to me What a great episode I didn't listen to because I'm a oh. Netflix watcher. Yeah, so I don't I didn't want to hear it and spoil it. Wow. Are you gonna watch the final season? Of course. Yeah, no, no. I'm I'm a big Better Call Saul fan. I just watch on Netflix yeah. and I don't watch on AMC. So how do you have yeah. the patience? Because brother, I am a patient guy. Oh my god. What <laughs> <laughs> a good explanation. <laughs> what do you have on Moco, Roy? Uh we have a comedian Mrs. Pat from the Mrs. Pat show on <laughs> this week. Like really? Greg Cody on the Greg Cody show. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. With Greg Cody. Is mm. Stupidity on vacation this week? No, Stupidity uh, went on a tour of Jake Plummer's Went on a trip. Farm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. He took us around. It was uh, something else. They we went got on MMA trip, this yeah. weekend? Yeah, we do. UFC 278. The boys will be hanging out for... The boys. Yeah, for the MMA hangout. Who's going to be part of it? I never know. I, okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Maybe this is a better off air conversation. Oh, I, I sent you the link last time. Last time you did send me the link and I woke up And you up didn't to join. It. Well, because you sent it to me at like 1030 at night and I was asleep by it that time. It was a Saturday. Brother, every day is the same for me. He has a kid. Exactly. Okay, so? At 1030 at night, I was asleep. I woke up and I saw it and I felt bad. And then I even 1030 went. 1030 is bedtime. I and then you went, went back and watched it? I went back to the YouTube to watch it because I was like, 
What did I? What miss? happened? Right. Actually, if I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I went back to watch it to see what your setup looked like because you sent us a screenshot good, of what right? is it your setup looks like. So I went back to see what it looked like on camera. And then I saw it was just you and Lewis. Well, yeah, it was me and Lewis the whole time. No, you, do, you do have a good you. setup, though. Yeah, you do. Thank you. Yeah. Very tranky tropey. Should we go over to your house to do it or what? I mean, you can. I just need to get an extra chair. Mm, this is probably mind. why I won't go to a concert for a while because they end really late. That's so. The Grateful late. And they actually, start really okay, late too. I did too. go to the Dead and Co concert like less than a month ago. I, I was forgot. gonna say you went to Wrigley, but it was like. Where I was sitting wasn't that crowded, so and it was outside, so I felt like pretty... Hard Rock Stadium is outside. Yeah, I know, that is well, true, but so it was probably so. packed to the brim. No, no, it was. People were hanging off the rafters. Yeah, the Dead & Co. concert was awesome, though. Yeah, but it's A not bad money, though. A lot of weird dancers, put it that way. Hmm. Lancers. Yeah, like people that are listening to the music, and like their body oh. is just going off vibes. They're tripping hmm. balls. Hmm. Yeah, probably. Okay, right. Okay, goodbye. So yeah, 278 with... Me. Oh, not then. With me for sure. <laughs> I don't know who else. Are you promoting anything? Uh, uh, this week on Golik and Smeddy, we had Pete Sampson. We did a little Notre Dame Ooh. season preview. Pete for all my Irish fans, Golik and I are going to have a great time this season watching the games. Football season's upon us. You guys are watching them together now? No. Well, maybe some. Ah. Stay tuned. Whoa. Ah. Oh, boy. Ah. Hey. Road trip? Wow. I think Golik lives in South Bend, so. Oh, okay. So. He lives there now? Road trip for me and Tony. Or, I think probably right. here. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Go? So they're, they're whatever they're going to do. Let's do something You guys should come to a Notre Dame game. Do It'd be fun. Else. I'm Let's sure do something I will. Else. Let's go to another game. I actually, before the season started, I, I like wrote down a number of different games that I was like, me and Stugatz can go to do this for God Bless Football, and I like pitched it to, well, I, I, the I powers guess un tank. unsuccessfully I pitched it because it doesn't yeah, join the be happening. But one of the things was like a trip for Notre Dame. I'm trying to remember which oh, game it was. Oh, you guys should come to one. We could pick How do we I get go, to South Bend? Go to that and then go to Mark yeah, Bimini. Um, no, so we we picked we picked actually a good weekend where it was like a, where this one was pretty crazy. But it was like we wanted to do a Saturday in South Bend and then a Sunday at Lambeau back oh, to back. Oh. Yeah. And they were two relatively big games wow. that were a day apart. Yeah. There was a weekend last year where there was a Notre Dame-Wisconsin game at Soldier Field, and the next day mm -hmm. there was a Bears-Packers game. So it was a very Chicago mm. weekend. Um, but anywho, uh, you guys should definitely come to a game. You can fly from Miami or Fort Lauderdale to Chicago, and then it's like a 90-minute drive. Or you can probably mm, fly directy. I don't think there's a directy from South Florida to South Bend, but I might no, be wrong. 90 minutes. 90 minutes, directy. Directy. Mm -hmm. Okay, then yeah, direct you to Chicago. Boom. We'll meet you there. Perfect. Say it, Roy. We're done now? Yeah. Okay, goodbye. Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy. Something that makes me smile. Something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.